0: Welcome to the 7th episode
1: of Draft Politics. I'm one of your hosts, Steve, and I'm here with EJ. Good afternoon or morning or wherever you're listening to this podcast. I'm EJ. Good to talk to everybody once again. And uh, this week we're at
0: Twisted Hippo, which is where we first uh, booted this up and gave it a try. So we're coming back here, having some fine beers and... uh, in Chicago and national politics.
1: Yeah, fine beers at the Twisted Hippo. And uh, before we get started, I really want to send a shout-out to my partner Steve here, who does all the editing for this podcast. Thank you. So uh, if you like it, make sure to let him know. I really appreciate it because I wouldn't know the first thing about how to do it. Uh, If you don't like it, Lie. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So, <laughs> um,
0: Speaking of which, uh, we'd really appreciate it if you got onto uh, iTunes and Google Play and all those things and gave us a review. Uh, we haven't seen uh, any yet that I've, I've noticed, so uh, if we can get those on there, that'd be awesome.
1: Yeah, and I just assume it's because people are still processing what they've heard for sure in a good way yes and by the time they get around to reviewing it another episode is out their heads
0: spinning with all this knowledge that we're putting in their brain pans absolutely yeah
1: so before you listen to the next one take a minute deep breath have a beer leave us a review yes
0: all right uh so as always we'll start with uh local stuff so uh, chicago politics uh and also state politics so these will kind of blend together a little bit
1: Uh, First, let's talk with this uh, threatening letter that you saw. Yeah, this was a really interesting thing that's happened really on the state level in the last week. Several legislators, uh, people who are part of unions and some individual citizens, have received a physical letter in the mail, the top of which says dead people can't collect fat state pensions. And essentially it is a small treatise about how people in the state uh, collect pensions when the writer believes they shouldn't and essentially is a death threat, uh, which is terrifying, to yeah. be quite honest. Uh, it's sent to people around the state, uh, all people who either have an influence potentially on what those pensions look like or uh, are lobbying on behalf of a union or collect a pension. Uh, really troubling stuff this week down down in Champagne, it was postmarked from Champagne as well right
0: and you know people online you know Twitter whatever death threats are just kind of you know par for the course there but when somebody actually goes through the trouble to write physical letters that's troublesome and you know I, I keep feeling like this is another one of those you know signs of the Trump world we live in now that people feel like they can go off and and express violence like that um so, you know, I don't know that they haven't found out who did it or anything like that. But, you know, just something that's
1: out there. It is something that's out there. It is troubling in terms of the the way people are thinking about things in our state. Yeah. Uh, and going to
0: troubling things in our state, uh, one of the things that actually I I know this has been around for a while, but I've only became recently aware of this. Um, and I saw WBZ, WBEZ did some coverage of this, and that's what got me to notice this was um, – annual cook county tax sale what happens is people get into debt with cook county and haven't paid their taxes on their property and so what the county will do is sell that uh basically a right to collect on that property tax to whoever wants to buy it so essentially the county gets their money and then that person can then go out and collect that debt and they can charge up to 36% interest in the first year up to 72% in the second year um, after two years um, the creditor can file to get title to the home um, so you can think of like somebody who has lived in Chicago all their lives owns their home you know as property taxes have gone up they're not in a position to pay it or maybe they just you know some life event they just weren't paying attention and uh, got a little behind this can take their home you know it's not like you're just like trying to pay it back, find some payment program. Like, this gives a, the power to those people to actually take homes from people, and that seems,
1: seems kind of wrong. Yeah, that's right. And it, it's not just that you haven't paid it recently. I mean, there are certainly cases where people have had two pins, and they didn't know that. So maybe they bought a piece of land, and there were two parcels on there, and they weren't aware that they were assessed separately, and so they were only paying one. Or you missed two payments previously, or you had bad title insurance on a home that you purchased. And these things kind of live out there. And one of the things that we've found in this, and I, I think WBZ may have mentioned it, but I happen to know something about this business separately from a previous life, but there are a big, there was a big increase in people taking advantage of those who had back taxes when all of these records got put essentially online and electronic. And so there are businesses that are out there that just harvest these things, and they have their algorithms to say which ones are the most likely to default completely. Because the business model isn't really collecting on those taxes. The business model is to get the property yep, and then to sell it. It's, it is troubling and extremely regressive, I would yeah. say.
0: And, and it's crazy to think, okay, somebody's having problems paying their taxes... So what we're going to do is we're going to ch- keep them owing the same amount and then charge them very high interest rates on it because that'll work. So yeah, um, like I said, it's something that's been around for a while. I've only become recently aware of it, and I you know I think it's something that needs to be changed uh, right. to something that's a little more friendly to
1: property owners. So if you're hanging out with Fritz Keggy right, or Tony Preckwinkle, yes, just uh, like, drop like you do. Drop one of these. Yeah. Drop one of these things about it. I think it's it's important. For sure. Um, although there is good
0: news, uh, we we talk a lot of bad news around here. But you know, I will say that since Pritzker uh, has gotten in office, there's actually been some really good stuff coming out. Uh, first of all, it is now legal to grow hemp in Illinois. Um, you have to have a permit to do it, but uh, it is it is fully legal at this point. And then um, we also had the marijuana legalization bill come out, and so we've finally got some of the details on what they're planning to do. Uh, it is. Hopefully, going to bring in 170 million dollars in licensing fees, and it wasn't clear to me if that was including all the tax money on top of that, or if that was just like all the fees for growers setting up and and uh, and uh, distributor, not distributors, uh, dispensaries, dispensaries. I'm like head shops,
1: dispensaries <laughs> um, getting set up. Um, uh, my understanding was that was just licenses for yeah. growers and dispensaries or distributors. Okay. And it wasn't clear to me if they were going to have, say, like a California model where it's three-tiered. So in California, you have growers, distributors, and dispensaries. And they also have other laws that are sort of seed to shop so you can track things across. So right. that wasn't totally clear to me. But those, uh, those fees, that $170 million seem to be just in licensing, not in the taxation Of sales on top of that
0: yeah and the biggest thing i think that's really worth calling out in this proposal is that it does a lot to try to address um, communities that were harmed by the war on drugs so uh, one of the things is it does expunge some marijuana convictions it's basically the lower tier of um, misdemeanors and felonies uh, i gather for mostly for possession essentially Um, And they're also providing 20 million dollars in low interest loans for people who are in those communities and want to invest in a business to uh, to have a dispensary right. or presumably to also to grow if that's if that's right. a, an it's for It's businesses
1: that are 51% owned uh, by folks who have been directly impacted by laws around marijuana possession and use, which is really great. I mean, I think the idea that we're focusing on that, we're focusing on, if you will reparations for the war on drugs is great and one of the sponsors of the bill came out and said look we don't want corporations to come in and get rich on this we want to limit the licenses to local sort of craft growers if you will so that the people of illinois are most positively affected and that to me feels like a pretty good approach if we think about helping communities that were negatively impacted previously, and focusing on small businesses, individual growers. That all seems very positive in my mind. Agreed.
0: Um, So it's going to be a 30% tax on recreational and 2% on medical. Uh, The tax rate on recreational is fairly high, like Colorado is at 15. Uh, Michigan has a pretty low tax rate. I don't recall what it is. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that affects sales at all it's certainly not high enough that it makes um, black market sales more attractive but you know and lord knows we need the revenue so i think that's probably the logic there Uh, it may get adjusted as they debate this and and settle on what the final proposal is Um, and the overall law would take effect in uh, january of 2020 uh, but the dispensaries won't actually be licensed to sell until july so there'll be a ramp up period where the the growers can get operating and the dispensaries can get set up and then they'll finally start selling in July. It sounds like
1: so. And so those of you listening from out of state or out of country, just keep in mind that the laws are slightly different if you're a resident versus a visitor. Uh, and if you're going to come in looking to enjoy maybe a Cubs game, uh, with a side of THC, you'll probably have to wait until July, 2020 to get that. So, I'm sure those Cubs Cards games in July of twenty twenty are gonna be you know, smoky affairs. I'm
0: kinda looking forward to like there'll be all the sort of like local strain names, like there'll be a I'm sure there'll be a Cubs theme for some and bears oh my word. And, I can
1: only imagine.
0: You know, so we'll see. <laughs> uh anyhow, uh so yeah, so making good progress on that. So uh four twenty twenty one would be, you know, your first first chance to celebrate that holiday legally in Chicago, bought at a dispensary, so Keep market on your calendars, everybody. Market on
1: your calendars. And I think also in the world of revenue, last week we talked just a little bit about the fair tax uh, proposal, so graduated income tax laws that are kind of making their way through the legislator, legislature here in Illinois. Uh, so it passed in the Senate. Uh, it is still in process in the House, and there seemed to be a little bit of pushback on the law as written in the Senate, specifically around a provision to remove the estate tax. So those of you who pay attention to national politics as well, you're going to hear that estate tax, is that the death tax? So that came uh, as a bit of a surprise to some Democrats that that was included in the bill in the Senate uh, by John Cullerton or sort of approved by John Cullerton. But I think that that's definitely one of those horses to be traded, as we mentioned last week. So we'll see how that pans out there in the state House uh, if they can find a, a good compromise between the two bills. Yeah, it'd be a little through. weird that we're
0: going to increase income taxes on wealthy people while we get rid of the uh, estate tax. So Yeah, and we'll see I how this plays out.
1: I was remiss in looking up what the actual impact on that would be. We know that the estate tax, as it is impacts a very, very small percentage of families. Who knows what that means really in terms of revenue? Yeah.
0: We got census numbers uh, coming in, and as has been the trend lately, Chicago's got declining population. Um, And what we've seen is uh, basically that Chicago is becoming more educated and wealthier and whiter. Um, And you see that, you know, as waves of gentrification have been pushing out and as real estate prices have been going up, People are leaving the city. Um, you know, I think it's a it's a concerning trend, and I think we really need to do a better job of focusing on uh, making sure that there's affordable housing in the city. I know there are rules yes. on the books, but there, it's very easy for developers to shuffle things around and sort of pay off their way out of having to build affordable housing.
1: Yeah, and I think these census numbers, and and really what they showed was, In the city of Chicago, even though general population has declined, if you look at educated or college-educated people under the age of 40, that population has increased tremendously. So it's like a 25% difference between overall population decrease and the increase in population in that demographic, which really shows us that trend away from sort of manufacturing jobs, the kinds of things that sort of built Chicago up. And almost as interesting, that same trend carried on in the suburbs. So in the suburbs that had seen population growth from people leaving the city and moving into them, now even those suburbs are showing population decline. So really interesting trends and i think somewhat reflective of you know rom's chicago so if you think about you know how rom looks at chicago and what he would want for chicago it would be in the model of a new york of a manhattan right where you've got a highly educated workforce companies can come here and know that they're going to be able to draw from a large you know fungible pool of folks gentrification is part of that and you know As we see a change in the mayor's office and the city council, maybe that trend reverses. Yeah, well, and also, you know, with a a more socialist-leaning city
0: council, that may shift that as well. So we'll see what happens.
1: Just a side note on that that word socialist. It was a a funny thing I read today. Uh, Recently, there was a sort of a panel with Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and someone else, and Bill Gates had a very... I think, poignant statements. He said, Americans who talk about socialism are talking about capitalism with a strong social safety net. They're not talking about socialism. And I just paused for a minute and I said, Thank you. Because that is truly. I was just having this
0: conversation today where somebody was saying, Capitalism's the problem. I'm like, Well, you like even the most socialist countries in the world have a lot of capitalism so you're not it's it's more about having a, a blend that is more supportive of people rather than large corporations and the wealthy right you know it's it's wealth redistribution Ooh. yeah um so anyhow moving on from there uh sorry for the digression that, that's quite all right um Preckwinkle uh, is still out and doing her business as board president and is looking to end cash bail, which is a really important thing. Um, What we see now is people who may or may not have committed a crime end up in jail because they can't afford bail. And they lose jobs, you know, whether they're found guilty or innocent later. Oftentimes they feel pressured to uh, to plea to a crime just to get out of jail. Um, So it's a really terrible idea. Um, At the very least, if you're doing a system like that, it has to be tiered in such a way that rich people and poor people can both effectively afford to pay their way out of jail. The the intent of bail, in theory, is a a reason for that person to come back because that's the only way they're getting that money back. And so we've moved away from that as to some sort of weird punishment, and that's
1: problematic. Yeah, and I think... When we've looked at it and as a city, and I think Preckwinkle, Tony Preckwinkle, is potentially looking at Washington, D.C. as a good model. I think Washington, D.C. ended cash bail 15 years ago or something like that. Yeah. So it needs to go. be nice if we caught up. Yeah.
0: Uh, other local news uh, the scooters are coming. Is it going to be Lime? Do we have line? I don't know. It, well, which one? I guess it's probably whichever one Lyft is associated with, maybe, because I know they've been talking about a deal with them and Divi bikes. Who knows? Um, I I don't know if you've—have you been to a city that has a lot of these scooters running around? Don't,
1: I don't—I think I have. I've tried to ignore the scooters. Okay
0: um i was in auckland and they had a bunch of these scooters all around and you know what it's like i rode on one it was fun it was a good way to get from point a to point b fairly quickly i sort of ignored the fact that i'm traveling at high speeds and i'm not wearing a helmet you know it's fine um what i did find concerning was the number of like groups of teenagers on scooters zipping in and out of crowds you know in fairly busy parts of the city and you know, there's no good way to sort of manage that. It's just the way it happens. Um, I do sound like I'm asking them to get off my lawn, and perhaps that's what I'm saying. I but was thinking that's a bit yeah. carmudgeony of you. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> for sure. So I'm not a huge fan of the the concept, but it seems like they're coming. They're supposed to be uh, beta testing them in the west loop, though how one keeps them in the west loop I
1: don't know. I, I think that's the whole point. Right. right. <laughs> so there you go. You have go. to keep them in the west loop. Right. That defeats their they'll whole just, purpose. Run, they'll just stop running when they exit right. the west It's loop. like the carts at the... At the market, they just stop. Yes. I mean, they've got GPS for sure, right? So, And, you know, have you seen uh, stories about people who, as their side hustle, they leave their job and they drive around their city and pick up scooters to take home and charge?
0: Yes. And I've seen it's not a very good way to make a living.
1: (laughs) Side hustles usually aren't. Well, yes. Otherwise, they'd just be hustles. So there you go. They are a hustle for somebody. So another kind of city and and regional news here you know Rahm Emanuel is finishing his last term lots of things are coming out sort of now one of them was a little bit of discussion about the third airport and for those of you who have lived in Chicago for a while we've heard about this mythical airport in south suburban Pietone. I always thought it Funny that Piatone was never referred to as just Piatone. It was always South Suburban Piatone. It might as well be the name. Well, you have of to remind everybody, like, where, where is that airport? Right. Oh, it's South Suburban. Oh, right. And essentially, it's gone back and forth for a long time. People wanting to put one in there to drive economic growth, et cetera, et cetera. This kind of counterbalanced by the expansion of O'Hare. And Rahm Emanuel this week said, "Look." Uh, Midway's pretty good. O'Hare's going to get expanded. We don't need another airport. I'm sorry, South Suburban Pietone. Wah, wah, Yeah. And I'm sure there are people who live around O'Hare who are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, we want to stop that expansion. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I think that's going to go you're, forward. You lost that battle already. Yeah.
0: Um, am I the only one who hears Ram in the news and, and I'm like, why why are you you're still there? Why why are we even hearing, like, didn't you lose? <laughs> He didn't lose. He chose to leave. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Chose to leave.
1: He chose not to lose. <laughs> I, I will say it's interesting that he's not ever been a really formal guy, you know, ties and whatnot, but he's even less formal now. Like, I don't think I've seen him in a tie since he said he wasn't going to run again. And good well, on you, A little you, bit Ram. of
0: that senioritis, you know, Yeah, kind it in. Cashing in, he gets a D in that philosophy class. Who cares, you know? All right, well, I guess that brings us to our beer segment.
1: Uh, this week we are at Twisted Hippo. Oh yes, Twisted Hippo. It's on Montrose. It's up here in Albany Park. I, we've been here before. This was our beta test location. Um, we decided to come here for a couple of reasons. One, because it's close to my house, and Steve is a really nice guy and is willing to come this way. Two, because it's a great space. So this is uh, a space that they took over from another brewery. Uh, They've done some really cool things with it. It's a funky space. They've got some great plants in here. It's open, but it doesn't feel echoey at all. And they make just an amazing collection of both good and traditional, but also funky and and weird brews and collaborations with other people. I've uh, had the Laughing Elephant today. It's an American IPA, 6.2 APV. It is really, really good. And I'm having the Peach Wagon, a, a peach cobbler ale. So it's
0: kind of, you know, a pretty standard ale with just like a little bit of that fruity peach yeah. thing going on. It's a it's good, good summer beer, you know. Right. See it's sitting on a deck and sipping that. Actually, if they have the garage doors open, which we can't do because it's cold today. Not, not super cold, but not garage doors open. Yeah, though. but not
1: garage door open. And they said, yeah. I was talking to one of the owners uh, just a few minutes ago, Carl. And he said, look, we're going to open the garage. We're going to, as soon as it's warm, we want that open. And he and his wife, they live here in the neighborhood as well, which is great. So it's supporting a local business, a local family, which I, I can't, I can't encourage anymore. Again, really good beers, really interesting stuff, good food. Um, and one other thing to call out about this place is they don't do
0: tipping here. So when right. you pay, it's all included. Um, and it makes the delivery of your beverage much more efficient because... One person will take your order, another person will deliver. It doesn't matter to them because they're not getting tipped. And the service is excellent, so it's not like you have to worry like, oh, well, since they not working for tips, oh, it's yeah. going to be bad service. Yeah. No, yeah. It's, it's really great. So. And,
1: and they make sure they pay everybody a good wage. And so yep. come on by. Twisted Hippo on Montrose. Try all of the beers. They've got flights. They have crawlers. You can take one home. Yeah, I'm thinking I might take a crawler home tonight. Uh, yeah. so. It's on me, Steve. All right.
0: So going from there, we're on to the national politics and our usual segment, Circus 2020. Election Circus
1: 2020. Man, it is a circus. I. Is three rings the maximum number of rings you're allowed to have for a circus?
0: We're solidly up into a du- double-digit rings at
1: this point. I mean, I think. so many rings, so many hats, so many rings.
0: Yes. Uh, starting off uh, this week, our usual segment of how to pronounce
1: But budajedz. Butt, this week, uh, edge, edge. so
0: what's the one you found today? Uh, so this week,
1: <laughs> this week it was from Oprah. Who has come out and said, first of all, she's not running for president. So if anybody thought she was running for president, uh, looking for that Oprah Tom Hanks ticket, that's not going (laughs) to happen. She did say she is going to weigh in and her support will be obvious. Uh, And she said that when she's talking to others, she refers to Mayor Pete as buddy beep, buddy boop. Yep. Buddy beep, buddy boop. Yeah, there was also,
0: like, there was a Saturday Night Live sketch uh, this weekend, and they had another another good name for him, but I cannot remember what it was, so I'll have to go look that up. But, anywho, uh, moving on from there. Uh, I think Oprah gets away with it, though. I think yes, she's Oprah, allowed yeah. whatever she wants. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah, absolutely. It's fine. It's fine. Um, so, Stacey Abrams uh, has said that she's not running for Senate in Georgia. Uh, and her explanation was that... Um, Basically, that she didn't want to run for the job just because it's available, and she wants to run for a job because she wants to do it. Now, it does sort of leave the door open, in theory, if she wanted to say, I'm running for president. I have a feeling that's not what's going on. I think it's more of a, she's looking for a rematch for governor in a couple years. She's going to do the work that she's doing to uh, you know, try to reform the way elections are handled in Georgia and hopefully set herself up for that, is my guess. I have no reason to believe that other than my gut instincts, but we'll see what happens.
1: And my personal reaction to this is, good on you. Yes. I mean, that is exactly, I think, what we want to hear from people who are actually leaders. And last week I had said something about, I don't think she should run for president. And in reflection upon that, I said that not because I didn't think she was qualified to be president or didn't want her to ever run for president it was really me being very pragmatic and thinking i would want a talent like hers on a state level and she is amazing and i want her to keep doing the work that she's doing Uh,
0: it does leave questions open about who is going to run for that senate seat in georgia um right now uh democrats need to pick up basically three seats in order to retake the Senate. I don't recall that. In, I think it might actually end up being essentially four because you can't really count on Doug Jones to to win reelection in Alabama. Um, well, so, except you
1: know, who's running for Senate in Alabama.
0: Well, yes. Our, 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 yeah. So,
1: so as long as Doug Jones is running against a pedophile, maybe it's okay. Yeah.
0: Maybe, maybe he's okay. We'll see how that plays out. Sad
1: that it's maybe,
0: um, yeah, so going from there, um, Warren uh, got a has a new catchphrase. She's got a plan for that. Uh, apparently, it's become a thing when she's out uh, working the stump that, you know, that's that's the big thing. is And she's released so many plans at this point that it's, like, getting hard to keep track of them. So, uh, good on her.
1: And so, do you think that matters? And I, I love them. I've been reading through the plans as I see them, or let's say I've been reading through them. They're probably more skimming, but... And how well do you think that plays for Elizabeth Warren as she talks to people?
0: I think that if you look at each individual policy on its own and you're, like, talking about, you know, if she came out with, you know, three really good policies, that doesn't really make a difference. The fact that she's become the policy person I think does make a difference. Because, it's ba- you know, building, you know, I hate talking about people and brand, but that's what it is. It's basically saying she's the policy person. She's going to run on that. I think it gives her an advantage over Bernie that she otherwise wouldn't have because that's Bernie's big selling point, right, is he's been on, all, all on board with all those great you know, left-leaning policies for a long time, and she is as well, but now she's saying, all right, well, here's other things I'm going to do, right. and she's evolving what she wants to do in a way that Sanders, I feel like, has kind of struggled with. So I think it could help her.
1: Yeah, I think I, I agree with you from a brand perspective. The... She has got a plan for everything is is really great. And it does differentiate her from Bernie because Bernie's got a plan for two or three things. Yeah. Like it's
0: yeah, and it's, it's interesting to see, like, I keep hearing the same messaging around Warren, which is, she'd be awesome, but I'm not sure she can win. And it's like, if all the people who started off that sentence just stopped talking at the butt, she would be president, I think. It's like... It's it's once she can convince people that she can win, and I don't know how she does that. I think she's in pretty good shape, but you know she's yeah. got a long way to go before she gets there.
1: Yeah, and I had a scary moment uh, yesterday. I was driving my kids to school or on the way back and listening to the radio, and they mentioned electability, and I nearly drove into the lake. Luckily, I was too far away from the lake to actually get there. But it's this idea of electability that stops people from having a rational conversation about the merits of the candidates. And I think Elizabeth Warren came out and sort of addressed it head on and she said, I hope we have the courage to vote for someone who is the right candidate not because of things that are irrelevant to running a nation. Indeed. And I hope we can all think about that. So listeners of this podcast, I think you should know that Steve and I are both Very big on the idea. Please correct me if I'm wrong, Steve. We can edit this out later. That's true. We're big on the idea of looking at the merits of the candidates. And we're so far out. We're talking about all these things now. Electability, as I said last week, I think is distraction. It doesn't mean anything Let's look at our candidates. Let's think about who can do the best job for the country yeah, and for the people. Really what
0: I'm about is focusing on one specific candidate to the exclusion of everybody else based on fairly arbitrary uh, traits and, and then never listening to anybody else ever again.
1: Right. I remember the <laughs> punk band candidate theorem. Yes. So you can <laughs> only vote for a candidate who's been in a punk band. And 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 thus you'll have a weird punk
0: band with 23 presidential candidates in it. <laughs> you know
1: they would do that, right? Yes. You know that they would. They would definitely move in that direction. So uh, yeah, good. Cory Booker this week did come out with some policy. Actually, we've got some interesting policy from both Cory Booker and Bernie Sanders. So Cory Booker talking about a nationwide gun licensing program, you know, background checks, interviews, safety course. Sort of a nationwide consistent program that seems pretty reasonable. Well, it feels like, yeah, it feels
0: like taking the concept of TSA pre-check and applying it to a gun. And if we're wanting to use that kind of, you know, aggressive background checks to just make sure you get on a plane without taking your shoes off, maybe that would also make sense for
1: owning a gun. <laughs> I, it's, yeah, it's interesting that it's easier to own a gun than it is to get TSA pre-check. Yes. Uh, And also, uh, Bernie this week came out with some policies that are really targeted at rural America. And the one that I thought was kind of most interesting was the right to repair farm equipment. And this is very niche. But I found it interesting because it is this intersection of some trends that we've seen over a number of years that are pinching farmers. So if you've happened to follow copyright and patent law around things like seeds you'd know that monsanto has made it illegal to own equipment that separates seeds so if you buy monsanto seeds and you grow them like it's illegal for people to own the equipment to maybe separate those to let you grow from the same crop the next year which is extreme and john deere over the last number of years has put software inside of their tractors and other farm equipment It makes it impossible to work on that farm equipment unless you're a John Deere authorized dealer. And the recourse for farmers, and I love this, I love this in so many ways, has been installing black market hacked software on their tractors that they get from hackers in the Ukraine. So they go onto these black market websites and they essentially buy fake parts on legitimate sites and then they get sent these you know, files that allow them to install third-party software on their tractors so that they can diagnose the problems and put in their own parts. Yeah.
0: You know, and I think it's, a lot of us tend to think of farming as being a fairly low-tech operation, and, you know, historically perhaps, but these days it's kind of crazy what kind of technology there is. I mean, they're using drones. They have They have it now where they can plug in an iPad into a tractor, drive it around to figure out, like, how their soil is down to, like, a square foot, plug that into a program to figure out which seeds they should plant in each square foot of their farm, and then drive that tractor out there and have it do that all automatically. It's, it's, yeah. There's some crazy stuff. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're just one step shy from Skynet growing all our food. So,
1: <laughs> I was thinking more like Interstellar, where... All the tractors were run by drones and robots because there weren't enough people to drive them. Right, right. Yeah, well, there we go. But it is this sort of very company-centric trend that most people don't know about. And when you look at the tariffs that Donald Trump has put on the farms across America, plus the squeezing from the corporate side, there is a real opportunity to— speak to these people and let them know that people are paying attention. People who are not necessarily farmers understand what's going on and are willing to try to pass policies that are beneficial to them. And
0: especially beneficial to people in Iowa. (laughs) Yes. Not not coincidental. Not coincidental at all. Um, So going out from Bernie, we've got uh, two new entrants into the presidential race. I know what you were thinking. You were thinking, Can I get another white guy in here? And yes, yes, you can. Uh, we got Michael Bennett, uh, senator from Colorado. Uh, Interestingly, used to work for Hickenlooper. So he used to be, I believe, Hickenlooper's chief of staff and then went on to win a Senate seat. Uh, He's decided to uh, hop in the race. And then you've got Bill de Blasio from New York who eats pizza with a fork. And so, you know, here's the thing, though. If it was Chicago-style pizza... I would totally accept a meeting with a fork because that's a hefty piece of pizza. But New York style pizza—that's that—you can't do that. That's not okay.
1: We shouldn't get into the pizza hot takes at this point, but yeah, I think Bill De Blasio. We'll maybe
0: get, do that as like a special episode a of we'll just special p- pizza take pizza pizza
1: take episode. I have the hot takes on pizza. Okay, I grew up in Detroit, so. Oh, uh, Detroit style pizza is quite good. It is. It is. We'll play the game. Is it pizza? Starring Detroit-style pizza, Chicago-style pizza, thin and thick crust, and New York-style pizza. Spoiler alert, not 100% yes on those styles. (laughs) Yeah, but it's good. It's good that we're up to 24 now, people on the Democratic side. Well, you know, the thing of it is,
0: practically speaking, there's about five or six candidates who have a real shot at this. Um, you know, we're going to have the first debate is supposed to be a two-night affair with God knows how many people on the stage. Some of those 24 aren't going make to make it to either No, stage. I think it's
1: supposed to be 10 a night, right?
0: Yeah, 10 a night. Well, you know, it, it all depends on whether they get enough donations in order to get on the stage. Right. And so that's another thing that's been interesting to see is candidates pushing people to just donate anything because they get credit for the, you know, total donations. Like I donated to uh, Inslee from Washington because I wanted... Like, I don't really have an interest in him as a president, but I want him talking about climate change on that stage. Yeah, that's why I gave to Seth Moulton.
1: Seth Moulton 2020. You just want that T-shirt. Why don't you have the T-shirt yet? Uh, The T-shirt's on its way. Oh, good. I've purchased the Seth Moulton T-shirt. All right. Hopefully I'll get it. I'm looking forward to it. But it it really is an interesting question now. We're going to have way more candidates than we could actually see on stage at any one time. How long is it going to take to have a group that we can kind of compare one to another? And as a city who's coming out of a mayoral election with 19 people or however many ran, you know, the person who was polling at 4% in the first pass is going to be inaugurated Absolutely. in two weeks. So
0: Yeah, and it's funny is like, you know, I think about it, like, oh, 20 people like that's crazy. But even 10 people on a debate stage is hard to deal with because everybody's going
1: to get like one or two minutes and that's about it. Yeah. So we'll keep our eye on that. We'll see who else announces in the next few weeks. It's almost like reverse Deadpool now. <laughs> who
0: who has not who is actually expressly said I'm not running is right.
1: <laughs> who still may run. Tom Hanks
0: has Tom not Hanks. said he's
1: not running yet. That's true. That's true. And Toy Story 4 is coming out. I see the tie-in. Wow. I okay. could see I could see Toy Story 4 having a whole political tie-in, and people walk out of there going, yeah, Woody. Woody 2020. Do you know I got married on
0: International Tom Hanks Day? I didn't know that until, like, the day of the wedding when somebody informed me of that, so... I don't know what to make of that, but <laughs> it is a thing, and apparently it's a Chicago thing,
1: strangely enough. So, that's really interesting. Wow. Well, okay. Anyhow, I'm, moving on. I'm surprised you <laughs> haven't gotten the letter from Tom Hanks saying right? he objects to you cutting in on his airtime. Right. So outside of Circus 2020, standard fare on the national politics side, we're still in the fallout world. Not yes. Fallout let's let's oil.
0: catalog our descent into fascism. Continue. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So interesting news, I guess, Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin had their uh, their besties FaceTime call this week. My understanding was that uh, Donald was on his stomach, feet uh, bent up in the air with his laptop in front of them on one of the couches in the Oval Office, uh, talking to Putin, who was in a uh, Russian banya beating himself with birch, uh, with birch branches and very traditional that's that's an awesome visual thank you (laughs) very specific yes and of course the way that all this works is it's leaked that there is there was some kind of conversation and from our side from the u.s side it was a 60 minute conversation very serious from the russian side no it was 90 minutes donald called putin what's interesting to to me is that um
0: Sanders came out and said that they had talked about the Mueller report. I'm like, why is she? Because that doesn't feel like something she would volunteer. <laughs> like, I can't imagine that would be good for him. But maybe maybe they're talking about even worse things. I, so, yeah, maybe that's the good thing. Right?
1: Hopefully they didn't hear about the other thing. Yes. And now it's just the Mueller report. And to me, the sheer audacity... To come out and say that. Like, oh, yeah, they talked about it. What are you going to do? Right. Going to impeach him? Blah. Yeah, I mean, it is, he is the troll in chief. Oh, for sure. Right? And so I know that we talk about things knowing that we shouldn't talk about them. That we're being trolled. We're being baited. Everybody's being baited. And when we saw the tweets this week about Donald Trump saying, well, this investigation lasted two years. I'm owed two more years. I should go two more years. You know, let's skip the election in 2020 because, you know, Mueller report, exoneration, no collusion. And media outlets saying, how serious should we take this? Not. <laughs> you should it's take it about as seriously
0: take any of his tweets is really what it boils down to. I mean, there is no mechanics by which that happens, short of him, you know, getting getting his next Supreme Court pick on the court and them saying, well, you know, the founding fathers said Trump should get two more years. Like that's not that's not gonna happen. So, you know, there's always the and then we descend into fascism and there's no more elections roll of the dice. But you know, we're 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 not there yet <laughs> and it's probably not his tweet that's gonna start that.
1: <laughs> right. And to me the thing that's frustrating is and I understand that this is hypocritical, media coverage of that, again, like we need something to talk about. So we're going to talk about these crazy tweets without recognizing that that's all that Donald Trump has. His one talent is monopolizing the news cycle. So de-weaponize it. Take it out.
0: It's so hard to do it, though. I mean, he's the president. He has Twitter. What are you going to do?
1: <laughs> and they're so farcical. It's fun. Yeah. It's like things that are, that are hypocritical in the extreme that give people the ability to talk about sort of rage at the hypocrisy and, two, how do people live with their cogniz- cognitive dissonance when, in the end, I think it's distraction. It's trolling. Yeah. Because they'll do things like this at the same time that they're You know, trying to push through ultra conservative, radically conservative judges or idiots for the Fed. Yep. Which is going to be my next band name. Idiots for the Fed.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, if two idiots for the Fed. How about that? Let's be very specific. Two idiots
1: for the (laughs) Fed who have both dropped out. But still.
0: Yes. So, yeah. So that gets us on to Bill Barr, attorney at law, Um, attorney at. (laughs) <laughs> it uh, unlawfulness. I don't know. Um, barricade. Uh, barricade. You see barricade. A camp, barricade. Okay. Yes. Barricade. Barricade without Bill Barr. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. No. He. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to even know where to start with this because he basically just doesn't seem to care. So, um, I mean, after watching his testimony and I mean, he still at least feels like he has to try not to lie.
1: So, he did lie,
0: but he really tried hard not to. <laughs> right.
1: It's like, somewhere in the back of his mind, he's still like, oh, that's probably not legal, shouldn't say that. Like, it feels
0: like maybe there might be some consequence for this at some point. Now, there's been talk of impeaching him, there's been people calling for him to be fired. Once again, though, we run into the same problem as we do with Trump, is fine, impeach him, but uh, he's not going to get found guilty in the Senate. No. So...
1: You know, how far does that go? Do you think that is a... So let's say you're Nancy Pelosi and you've got a huge portion of your base that says, we need to impeach the president. And you look at that and say, politically, that's a loser. But maybe You're wrong, but we'll move on from that. (laughs) Thought experiment. Yes. But here's Bill Barr. Maybe I can, you know, throw a bone to the base by... Starting impeachment proceedings against the Attorney General. Yeah, well, and the challenge is going to be,
0: if you do those impeachment proceedings, like impeachment proceedings against Trump, it's fairly clear. Here are ten very obvious violations of, um, you know, obstruction of justice laws. Like, I mean, here we go. There's your case. Good bar we've got on a very technical fringe lie at this yeah. point, and. We have him ignoring a subpoena for the Mueller report it's not it's a little hard to make the case, and so you know I'm not saying don't do it, but I'm saying it's not it's not a real effective test of, of what you can actually do um, right. you know in terms of getting the getting the base together and,
1: and and pushing for that right so they have set a Wednesday vote to vote on a contempt of Congress charge here which is. In itself, pretty strong. It's only happened one other time in history for an attorney general, which was Eric Holder by a Republican House committee around the Fast and Furious documents. So they said that he didn't release enough documents from the Fast and Furious scandal for their liking. And so they held him in criminal contempt of Congress. Uh, He was not held in the congressional jail. I'm sure that Google searches for congressional jail went way up this week. but So it's something, but it really still feels like an empty gesture.
0: Yeah. It's like, yeah, fine, we put a mark on your permanent record. All right, whatever.
1: Okay, sure.
0: He clearly doesn't care about that. It, it might hurt him the next time he's being appointed attorney general by a proto-fascist president. But, you know, probably not.
1: <laughs> but we won't have another election for f- three years right right so what else do you think about you know what's happening with Barr and sort of not just on the Mueller side right but outside of that specific report other investigations and whatnot
0: well one of the things i i I think we should be really concerned about and this is something that uh, uh senator harris got in on was looking at Pressure put upon the Attorney General to open investigations into people. Um, One potential example of this is this Ukrainian scandal involving Biden and his son. So this was something that was not being investigated by the Ukrainian government. Like, they decided to let it go. Then recently they decided to pick it back up, potentially because of pressure from our government. We don't know for sure. And there's a whole lot of, like, like, basically... Uh, his son had some sort of business dealings with the government at the same time that Biden had, you know, political involvement with what was going on with Ukraine. And it's like, so there's, but there's really nothing to it as far as i have been able to gather. And there are people who um, are more familiar with the corruption issues in Ukraine and whatever who have said there's nothing to this. Um, Even and that's why was dropped originally. Right? But, you know, it's, it's it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I can definitely see And I keep thinking about it. I've said before, if we don't nominate somebody for the presidency who has an FBI investigation out on them, we're already, like, way ahead of the game from 2016. Sure, yeah. However, the attorney general who nominally is in charge of the FBI is he the sort of person who would be willing to just launch one of those investigations anyhow.
1: Right. And I think what you were specifically referring to, and I think it's really worth watching, right? So in the testimony this week in front of the Senate, you had some candidates for president. And of the candidates, Kamala Harris was the only one who just went right in for questions. She reprised her role as a prosecutor. And it was great. And one of the questions that she asked was, has the administration pressured you to open up investigations? And William Barr looked like he started sweating very uncomfortable. Could yeah, not give I love like answer. she asks
0: the question. It's like, have you ever? Has anybody asked you or suggested, or like, she phrased it some way, and he's like, "Can you repeat the question?" And it's very clearly like, L- "Let me let me parse exactly what you're saying so I can answer it in just the technically right way, so that I'm not lying to you,
1: right?" But I'm lying to you. <laughs> can you ask the question 75 more times so that your time is up? Yes because i do not want to answer this question there were a number of of times where he looked very uncomfortable when there were very direct very well phrased questions yeah well he
0: knows he's on he knows he's on thin ice in a world where you know there's actually some consequences for you know fraud and lying to the government and you know I just don't know if that's the world we live in anymore. He's not taking his chances because he's a lawyer.
1: <laughs> right. And I think you know him refusing to testify at the House Committee this week and evidently the sticking point was he didn't want to be questioned by staff attorneys kind of speaks to that. Yes. Although I would say on the flip side, if you're a member of Congress and you can't read a question written for you by a staff attorney, there's some other issue I I couldn't wrap my brain around, honestly, what the, the big sticking point was there. Like, uh, the Congress wanted to use staff attorneys to ask him questions. He didn't want to answer questions from staff attorneys. Yeah. I felt like we could have gotten we, past I feel
0: that. like we've had recent precedent of somebody being interviewed in the House by an attorney—
1: Oh, no, that was in the staff
0: attorney. And that was in the Senate, too. Yeah,
1: that was a a token attorney that they flew in.
0: Yes, because they didn't want to be a bunch of cranky old white guys beating up on a woman because that would have looked bad. Anywho. uh, So
1: going from there. So the, the other funny thing I thought about the House hearing that didn't happen. So they held the empty hearing. They printed out the table tent with attorney general Barr's name on it and put it out there and he wasn't there obviously but steve cohen representative from tennessee tennessee sounds right brought a bucket of chicken
0: you some know other props i
1: you know what i'm all for prop comedy occasionally
0: <laughs> i mean part of me is like okay he's having some fun with this fine who doesn't like fried chicken you know, okay, but, like, this is serious shit, and, and, it, and it's just such a comical, like, it, it feels like, oh, you know, we're just, we're just two parties that are have agree to disagree, and we're just going to have some fun with this, and we're going to have some fried chicken. Like, no, 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 they're, they're violating laws and covering up violations of laws, and you're going to have a bucket of fried chicken. I mean, it's just, it just feels really wrong
1: to me. I absolutely take your point. Yes. you know if, When we step back and look at this and say, the question here is, are the branches of government co-equal? And if you are Donald Trump and his surrounds, they would say no. The executive branch is more important than the other branches of government. And therefore... They can ignore the legislature in their duties. And if you see all of their sort of pushback, Donald Trump's into his I'm going to sue everybody for everything mode, which is, you know, very on brand for him. But they all say that the work that the legislature is doing is not part of the business of governing, essentially. And that boils down to oversight not being part of their role in the government. Which, again, sort of transitively is saying they're not co-equal. Well, I mean, until
0: Congress steps up and proves that they're co-equal, are they? I mean, right now, you know, they've requested these documents. They've requested people to show up and testify.
1: Right. And it's not happening. No. All right. So now what? Yeah, Barr didn't testify, missed today's deadline for the release of the unredacted report. No testifying in front of the house committee last week by bar and steven munchen said i'm not going to release tax returns they're just setting up for law lawsuits for the legal fights that we talked about last week
0: which will by the time anything gets settled with that will already be at the election and it, none of it's going to matter you know i mean it's like they just run out the clock you know and maybe that affects yeah. things for if trump gets reelected. maybe yeah Um,
1: yeah, shutter. Yeah, shutter.
0: But I mean, you know, even at that point, it's
1: like you you, you don't have the votes to impeach. So it doesn't matter. One of the things that came out today that I really liked reading, don't know the impact it's going to have. But it was a letter that was signed by, you know, at time of recording about 400 former federal prosecutors. And in that letter, it said, and I quote, to look at the These facts inside the Mueller report and say that a prosecutor could not probably sustain a conviction for obstruction of justice based on the standards set out in principles of federal prosecution runs counter to logic and our experience. Which is a huge mic drop on the Attorney General. We
0: really need to pair up attorneys, federal prosecutors. With marketing people. Because, like, they keep talking in this language. It's like, well, you know, like, in our experience, like, no. He committed crimes that you could prosecute for. Right.
1: Done. <laughs> if it had been us and he hadn't been president, he yes. would be indicted. Yes. I try to read a lot of news opinion pieces from across the political spectrum. And,. When I read the sort of attacks from conservative or right-wing publications against people that I would vote for or people whose values I share, they are those leftists, those extremists. They want to impeach the president. They want to investigate things. They want to give people free college and free health care. As though that's a bad thing. Right. And then I say, (laughs) on the other side, the Anti-Defamation League this week said that something like 65 or 70 percent of all hate crimes against Jewish people are done by right-wing extremists. I'll take that. I will take extremists who want to investigate crimes— over extremists who are nazis
0: and 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 twitter deciding well they don't want to kick off white supremacists on twitter because
1: they'd have to kick off republicans so you know that's a bit of an aside there sort of a bit of a i really do think that we're in a place right now where our democratic leadership is deciding between what is pragmatic and what is electable and what is the best sort of political move versus what they should be doing in terms of their job and there is almost this equivalence of the period of time that may be still continuing in the republican party where the extreme right the extremists were dictating policy the tea party is going to say you can only do this otherwise we won't vote for anything and the situation the democrats are in now and i would say The big difference is the extremists on both sides, not very fine people on both sides, really have a different moral standing. And the most extreme Democrat, I think I would still be happy. The most extreme
0: Democrat is FDR had some good ideas. The most extreme Republican is Hitler had some good ideas. That's true. So while they're both throwbacks to World War II, <laughs> I think, think one of them is a little bit more within the bounds of reason.
1: <laughs> I think we should keep comparing everybody to that. Yes. On the FDR to Hitler the FDR scale. FDR to Hitler scale, exactly. Well, they're minus two to Hitler. Yes. Is that plus two to Hitler? Well, we'll see which way that we'll that goes. But I, I agree. It's, it's something that is really astounding to me, the way that certain media outlets have been able to create that equivalency. Yeah. Indeed. He says uh, in a totally unbiased way.
0: Right. Uh so international news a little bit there. Um we've got a little bit going on mostly in that we keep talking about going to war with places. <laughs> so John Bolton and his uh So John Bolton and his aggressive mustache are uh, looking to pick a fight. Uh There was talk about all options being on the table with Venezuela, suggesting that we might get militarily involved, um, which is weird because, like, Russia has involvement there. So I don't know how that spins. Is
1: that? Well, do they? I don't know. There was that very odd situation. So the American government is saying Maduro's on his way out. He's on his way out. There's a plane gassed up at the airport. It's waiting for him. He's on the tarmac. And then implying that Russia called him up and said, you're fine. You're good. Stay there. Yeah. And Guaido kind of saying, oh, yeah, we're right on the precipice. We're there. And a couple of other people sort of saying that they were going to be president of Venezuela. I half expect four or five Democratic candidates for president of Venezuela to. <laughs> Seth uh, Moulton runs Seth for Moulton, president Venezuela, of Venezuela. 2019. Um,
0: yeah, well, and since all of that unfolded, we had uh, Putin and Trump had their little FaceTime chat. So. We'll see if that maybe affects how that plays out. Um, the other thing is that uh, we have a carrier group. Uh, the I believe is the Abraham Lincoln is heading towards uh, the Middle East. That's right. Now, interestingly, that carrier was already kind of heading that way anyhow. So it's not like they like really rushed it over there. But um, the White House and Bolton have been talking about there being some unspecified credible threat by Iran against US something something who knows
1: right it was it was sort of prototypical early aggressive escalatory moves yeah. by Iran and their proxies in such a way that gave us good talking points yeah without any credi- credible specific threats against US ground forces because of course the US does we have troops we have Our citizens who are there in Iraq, they are in Syria. We also have Russian forces in Syria. We have Iranian proxies in Yemen. Of course, this week, the Senate failed to override a veto of a resolution saying that we should stop supporting the war in Yemen. So it's a complicated situation, but in maybe an overly cynical way, this all feels... Talking point related, and Michael Bolton. Yeah, you know he wants Michael Bolton. He wants to fight with anybody.
0: <laughs> I want Michael Bolton as the N. Sorry. <laughs> I think everybody just calmed down a whole lot. You know, I mean, you know, I'm not a fan of his singing, but at least you know it's mellow. You know, it's, not, it's very mellow. I celebrate his not entire going to go out there and start talking about taking down buildings and such. Anyhow, I think we're pretty good. I think we've gone a little off the rails here. Uh, <laughs> I think we can wrap it up. So uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us this week on our
1: seventh, lucky number seven. Lucky number seven, again, here at the Twisted Hippo. If you picked up on my misstatement about Secretary Bolden, uh, leave a comment about what movie I was quoting from right there when I said I celebrate his entire collection. Yes. We'll buy you a beer at the next brewery that we're at.
0: Yes, and be sure to put a review out there if you haven't, because none of you have as far as I can tell. <laughs> but if you could do that, that would be awesome. Uh, you know, like our Facebook page. We're up there. Uh, check us out. You know where we are now, and uh, that's pretty much it.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy your week. We'll talk to you next week on Draft Politics.